Well, I like to. My, my favorite way to preach is just to take a book of the Bible and work through it verse by verse and just see what God's Word has to say to us. Recently, we concluded the book of 1 Thessalonians. And so as I was praying about what, what would be appropriate for us in this coming summer weeks, these summer months, the theme of spiritual warfare came to mind. So last Sunday, we began a little series through this classic passage in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6. So please take your Bible with me. And last week, we just introduced this theme of spiritual warfare. And the main point of that message was just to remind you that all of us are at war. We are yet, we are in this spiritual warfare. And so what I'd like to do this morning is just to build on that theme. Last week we covered chapter 6, verse 10. This week I'd like us just to look at verses 11 and 12 together. And I realize that this might be an unusual topic to cover on a, on a Sunday of which we have the church picnic but I just thought, hey, we're just going to keep roll with this. And I, if you're a guest with us, I hope that you'll just listen in. This is a, a series of messages that I think you'll find helpful for you as well. I've also challenged our church family not to just read through these verses, but actually to memorize them because we're going to be spending so much time in them during this summer. So instead of me reading Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 11 and 12, if you have already committed these three verses to memory, I realize that we could have a a couple of different translations represented here, but I've got the microphone, so I will be reciting it from the English Standard Version. Why don't we all, in your own translation, as long as it's from the Bible, uh, why don't you recite these three verses and we'll do it in unison, okay? So this is Ephesians 6, verses 10, 11, and 12. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So, Father, as we think of these words now, uh, help us to have our spiritual eyes open that indeed there is a war around us. It is a war against sin. It is a war against the world. But it is also a war against an opponent, the devil and his demons. And so we pray today to have a proper focus on Jesus and, and the finished work of what he did on the cross and the empty tomb. But there is also a value for learning a little bit about our enemy and his schemes. And so help us to be informed that we would be better equipped to carry out a battle plan in which we can live in victory, the victory that has been accomplished at the cross. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In preparation for this week's message, I come across an interesting paragraph or two from A.W. Tozer, a one-time pastor in the Chicago area. He also served in Canada. He said this. It is, this is in your outline. It says, 
the scriptural way to see things is to set the Lord always before us. Put Christ in the center of our vision, and if Satan is lurking around, he will appear on the margin only and be seen as a shadow on the edge of the brightness. It is always wrong to reverse this, to set Satan in the focus of our vision and to push God to the margin. Nothing but tragedy can come from such inversion. The best way to keep the enemy out is to keep Christ in. The sheep need not to be terrified of the wolf. They have to but stay close to the shepherd. It is not the praying sheep that Satan fears, but the presence of the shepherd. So as we walk through this little series here on spiritual warfare, I want to keep before you our overall intent We are placed on this earth to know and enjoy God. We are to mature, we are to grow in our faith, and we are to share this wonderful message of the forgiveness of sins that is offered through Jesus' death and resurrection. And the aim of life is to keep Jesus as the focus of our pursuits. And as we do so, there will be one that will come along the periphery, off to the side. And we might want to learn a little bit about him this morning, but that should not move our focus away from Christ. It's in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 20, where Paul wrote, Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Listen to this. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. He is urging Christians don't, don't, don't get to know evil too well. If you're going to major on something, major on knowing who God is in his attributes. If you're going to major on something, major on what the Bible calls the good news, the gospel, and how the benefits are applied to your marriage, to your personal life, to your family, to your workplace, to your church, and to your community. Don't take a topic like the devil and the demons or, or maybe like the angels or like the end times and, and major on that. Focus on God. Focus on the demons. As it says here, be infants in, in evil. As, as we look at this theme, and this morning we're going to be looking at the devil and where he came from and who he is and, and his, his schemes, let us not have too much of a curiosity in this. Instead, let us keep our focus on Jesus. In the New Testament, and I think today, if we had someone in our church that was struggling with envy and jealousy, we wouldn't say to them, what you really need to do is have this demon of jealousy and envy cast out. We would say, listen, you got some idolatry going on in your life, and you really need to repent and confess And you need to have an appreciation for God's sovereignty that he has given to you everything you need. If there was a man in our church that was struggling with lust, we wouldn't say, we need to cast out the demon of pornography. We would say, brother, you need to unplug. And you need to address this lust within your life. And we need to come up with a battle plan that would fight against this in your your life. In the same way, our pursuit 
is, is for Christ. So let's consider a few questions this morning as we look at this passage here in chapter 6, verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Here's the first question. Where did the devil come from? The second question we'll address today is who is this devil and what are his schemes? And then thirdly, how is it that we overcome him? So first question is this, where did the devil come from? If you believe in the Bible and you see it as authoritative of your life, then you have a deep appreciation for the creation account. As a, as a church, we believe the Bible is inspired. It is the very word of God. And when we close out the first chapter of the Bible, we read in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, where it says, And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. God's creation was perfect. It was as it was designed. Everything fulfilled its original purpose. But then if you read a little bit further in chapter 3, you read about a serpent. And this serpent lures or tempts the first man and woman into sin. And so we're we're prompted with this question, where did this serpent come from? Well, there's a few different verses throughout the Scriptures that provide clues of that. I think of 2 Peter 2, verse 4, that says, God did not spare angels when they sinned. This passage tells us that there was a time where there were some of God's created messengers, these angels, that had actually sinned against God. In Jude chapter 6, we read, The angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling. This speaks of a time where these collection of angels who were assigned some responsibilities rebelled against their creator, God. Perhaps one passage that provides the most light to this is Isaiah chapter 14. So keep your finger here in Ephesians 6, turn to the left, towards the middle of your Bible, and you'll see in Isaiah chapter 14, where I think we get the answer to where did the devil come from? He was an angel who rebelled against God and was cast out of heaven. Isaiah chapter 14 Let me read verses 12 through 15. This passage is is a word to the king of Babylon, but it is so specific that it seems to go beyond this king and, and speaking to the devil himself. Verse 12 says, How you are often fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, the far reaches of the pit. You can skip down to verse 19, but you are cast out. So you here you had one angel who was a prominent one, who had some positions of authority, and he, in his pride, decided not to, to submit to God's leadership, and he was cast out of heaven. This is who the devil is. 
Now, let me give you a second point about him. He is limited in power. He is limited in power. Uh, Children, let me play a little game with you now, and you can answer back, okay? Let's play the opposite game. All right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say a word, and you tell me the opposite of it. Ready? The opposite of cold is very good. The opposite of high is the opposite of dry is very good. The opposite of good is yeah. The opposite of something that is heavy is all right. Now I could trick you. And I could say, what is the opposite of God? And you might be tempted to say, the devil. But if we did that, we would be giving the devil far too much credit. It would be as if to say that somehow God and the devil are of equal power. And the devil is not even close. Do you know what I mean by that? Because the devil was created. He at one time was just a mere angel perhaps a high-ranking angel, but he is not the opposite of God at all. His power is limited. Now, to illustrate that, let me have you turn to the book of Job. Book of Job, if you were in Isaiah, you can go to the left again. And in Job chapter 1, we see this uh, illustration of how limited the devil's power is. There was this great righteous man in Job chapter 1. And it says here in chapter 1 verse 7, The Lord, that's God, said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Let me just give you a little snapshot of what's taking place here. There is this conversation taking place between the devil and God. And God says, where have you been? He says, I've been looking up and down the earth looking for someone to tempt. And God says, have you considered Job? There's no one more righteous and upright than him. Listen to what it says here in verse 9. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. I'll tell you why he is upright. I'll tell you why he is so righteous, God. Because you have this hedge of protection around him. If you would allow me to attempt him and to attack him and to hurt him, then we would see how righteous he really is. So in effect, he is asking permission from God to tempt one of God's own people. And verse 12 says, And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And we would see a similar pattern in the second chapter of Job as well. But do you see this? That, that when Satan, the devil, looks at people, these people are not free reign for him. He has to ask permission. Is it okay if I tempt? Is it okay if I challenge to afflict this person? 
this isn't the only time in the scriptures where we see this. In, in the New Testament as well. Do you remember Peter? At one time, Jesus said to him, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. There was a time there where the devil asked to tempt Peter, Jesus' disciple, and he would not allow him. The devil is not the opposite of God. The devil is, is far weaker than God. And I would say, take comfort in this, loved ones. That the only way the devil could, could get to you is if the Lord in his providence, would lift that hedge of protection momentarily and allow the devil to tempt you. And even in the midst of this, he will work good for you. It was just two weeks ago. It was a Saturday. I had given a full day, and here I was still studying, and I was here into the evening, and, and I was trying to wrap up my message and there was just something that came over me. And I don't, I don't want to get too, uh, too weird here, but it was just like just despair set in over my mind and over my heart. And just hopelessness, like, what are you even doing? You know, wouldn't you be better and more satisfied doing something else with your life and, than doing this? And how effective are you really being? And, and just, just this uh, discouragement, just coursing through my brain and through my, my veins. And I was driving home and I think, I'm going to listen to some Christian music now because I want to, I want to be able to stand on some promises. I, I walked through the door and it was about that time where the, the boys were about ready to put the, be put to bed by Melody. And I said, Melody, I'm not going to be a help to you tonight. Can you put the boys to bed? I just feel like I need to pray right now. And so I went in and, and what I did is I just, took the passage that we're memorizing this summer, Ephesians 6, 10, 11, and 12, and just began to memorize that and meditate on that. And as each one of these lies would come to my mind, I would hold them up to the light of God's word and say, this is a lie, this is not true. Let's cast that out and let's stand on what is true. And after doing what I would say battle for around 20 or 30 minutes, just processing all these spiritual attacks, I was at peace. Slept good that night, and when I woke up, I was better because of that, because I had to pray through that. And when I stood before the church on that Sunday morning, I had known that I had worked through that and was able to stand before church, the church family and proclaim God's word confidently and boldly, because God had brought that assurance the evening before. His power is limited. So let's tackle the second question then, and that is, who is this devil, and what are his schemes? If we look at this passage here in Ephesians 6, verse 11 again, it says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The word schemes could also be the word methods. So what I'd like to do is not so much of a comprehensive study of the devil and demons, but just offer five different words or titles that he goes by. In the Bible, a person's name says a lot about who they are. So we'll look at five different titles of this adversary, this 
opponent of ours, and we'll break those down, okay? The first is this. Satan means adversary. Whereas God brings life and truth, Satan is a murderer and a liar. God's greatest desire for you is so that you could have the pleasure of knowing him and live a life of worshiping and delighting in him. And the only way that could happen is for you to have your sins forgiven. And God loves you so much that he made a way for you to have the sins you're forgiven by sending his own son, Jesus, to die on the cross for your sins, that if you would repent and believe that Jesus died in your place, you might have a relationship with God. This is why we exist, to to be able to live this out and to have a life of worship towards God. However, this is not the devil's plan for your life. He wants to fill you with lies. In fact, in John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus was speaking to these people and he said, You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desire. And he speaks a little now about the devil. He says, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. The devil, this Satan, is an adversary. Whatever God is and whatever God stands for, Satan stands against. And one of his methods is to lie to us, to twist the truth. So you go back to the Garden of Eden, and it's there where God warned him, do not eat of this fruit, of this tree. And and do you remember what the serpent said? Did God really say that? And so in a, in a twisted way, he twists the truth. One of the ways he does this is he seeks to hinder the gospel. This good news of how we can enter into a relationship with God, he clouds people's understanding of that. Christians, if you've ever had the privilege of, privilege of sharing the good news with another person... There are times where people understand it and you can see it and they're like, oh, I'm so grateful that you shared that with me. But there are other times where it's very clear that they don't understand anything that you've said. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul wrote, The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. He blinds people's Mind, so they can't understand the gospel. And one of the my favorite parables that Jesus told was the parable of the farmer or the sower that has a handful of seed and, and plants it or casts it out. And it falls on various soils. And one of the soils it falls on is the, the, the soils of the, the beaten path. And in Matthew chapter 13, verse 19, it says... When anyone who hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This 
is what was sown along the path. When the word of God is being shared, it's as if it's, it's seeds that are being sown into soil. And what the devil does, what Satan does, is he comes and he plucks up those seeds. And he does that through distractions. It could be a distraction in a worship service. It could be a distraction as you are sharing the gospel with another person. When we went to Senegal several weeks ago, it was inevitable. We would be sharing the gospel in this area. And, and just when we were getting to the most critical part of that conversation, there would be a rooster that would sound off. There would be a neighbor that would come by and introduce himself. At one point, there was a goat that would be out right in the middle, just bellowing, just such a massive distraction. And you could just count on that taking place. But maybe we don't have goats and maybe we don't have roosters. But but we could leave our church service hearing the word of God and innocent things like, a pull of a little child saying, Dad, when can we go? Perhaps the the growl of a belly thinking, man, when is this preacher going to end? I'm hungry right now. Or, giving you a, a more recent one, the buzz or the ping of our phone offering us a notification, oh, there's something so critical here that demands your attention. The Brewers didn't score a run in the bottom of the first or something like that, Right? But it's that thing, it's those distractions as we are driving out of the parking lot, heading home, and we can be thinking about the Word of God, and we see a billboard, and it just takes us an entirely different direction. This is what the devil does. He snatches away the Word of God from our minds and from our hearts. That's one word, the word Satan, and he is an adversary. Let me just keep moving here. I'll give you a second word that is used of him, and this is the word tempter. Tempter. We see this in Matthew chapter 4, verse 3. This is when Jesus is taking out into the wilderness and fasted 40 days and 4 nights, and it says, And the tempter came and said to him, Like an experienced fisherman, that knows the, the patterns of a walleye or a smallmouth or a spawning bluegill. And, and they know they will be in this location at this time, during this time of the day, and we are going to provide this sort of a lure and this sort of a presentation because we are sure that we will get a catch if we do it this way. We have been doing it a long time. The devil is very experienced in providing lures for us where we are most susceptible, where we are vulnerable in our desires, in our appetites, in our quest for materialism or for approval. And it is these where he'll lay out these skilled temptations that can lead us to falling into his trap. He is the tempter. He provokes man to devise sinful plans. There is a passage in Acts chapter 5 where there is this couple. They've been attending church for some time and they have some land. And they decide, hey, there are people within this local church that need some money. They need, they need help. We have more than what we need. So let's sell this land. We'll take the proceeds of it and we'll give the money to the people in the church. Well, what they do is they keep some of that money back for themselves. But when they report it to the church... They give the evidence as if they've given all the money to the church. 
And Peter, one of the disciples, one of the leaders of the church, says to the man, Ananias, chapter 5, verse 3, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Where did this thought come from for this man? The the thought was planted there by the devil. I'll give you another one. One of the great kings of the nation of Israel was King David. And God blessed him. And he won war after war. He he conquered enemy after enemy. And he reached a point in his career where he looked upon all the gain that he had accomplished and he thought to himself, you know what I should do? Is I should I should call for a census. Do you remember First Chronicles chapter 21, verse 1? where the scriptures record, then Satan stood against Israel and incited David to number Israel. Where did that prideful thought come from? It says it right there. The tempter did that. And he is so clever that when these temptations arrive, we think that they are our thoughts I think if we knew that, hey, this is not coming from me, this is coming from the devil in hell, we might be tipped off to say, I really can't go along with this. But he is so clever that these temptations think like they're our own thought process. I need to say something about this too. Just because these devil, the devil may have given that temptation doesn't mean that Ananias and David were not responsible for their actions. No one can say, the devil made me do it. Sin is always an inside job, and these people were accountable, and they reaped what they sowed. I'll give you another one, then, under this idea that he is the tempter. He exploits sinful decisions. I'm just reading Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, where Paul is urging the church, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. There are sins here where we can give an opportunity to the devil. And the context here is of bitterness, unforgiveness, and anger. Paul is telling the church, listen, you need to resolve that. You need to work towards reconciliation with, within your relationships because if you don't and you go to sleep on that, that, what can happen is bitterness and resentment can, can be birthed in you and, and you will give an opportunity for more sin to come after that. And so often, those who struggle with bitterness and resentment also struggle with other sins as well, whether it's lust, whether it's discouragement or depression, whether it's greed. So what we are instructed to do is resolve that sin as soon as we are convicted by the Holy Spirit. So let me give you a third word. The third word, a title of the devil, is actually the devil. What does the word devil mean? It means slanderer. He attempts to defame God and his followers. I'll tell you what he's really good at is taking something that God made that is great. 
and corrupting it. Think of work. You might be surprised by this, but work was given to us as something that was good. That something we got to do. To manage the earth. But look what we have done with it. Look, look how it has been corrupted. It is something that now many try to avoid in the area of laziness or to the other extreme where it can become an idol to us. Consider music. Music was given to us as a tool that we could worship God. It has been corrupted now where we glorify sin with music. Food was given to us for enjoyment and strength, but we can corrupt that, or the devil has corrupted that for gluttony. And how about physical intimacy? It was given to us as a gift between a husband and a wife, but now it's been corrupted for recreation. In the same way that Jesus that Jesus was defamed and slandered by all the people during that first century time, what would it look like, loved ones, if you, if you believe in Jesus, if you believe in the Scriptures, if you are born again and you have a biblical worldview, what would it look like for you to be interviewed, say, on Good Morning America or MSNBC or Wisconsin Public Radio or or at a university lecture service within the Wisconsin public university system, or, or at the academy where there's a collection of producers and directors and actors. And, and what they want to do is just interview on key questions like this, what is truth? What is the source of truth? How did this world come into being? Is there a heaven and hell? How is it possible that one could have a relationship with God? And you just begin to answer those questions according to what the Scripture says. Yes, I believe there is absolute truth. It is found in the Word of God. Yes, I do believe that we are here because of creation. God spoke the world into existence. Yes, I do believe that there is a way to God, and it is only through Christ. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. We must repent, we must believe, and we can enter into a relationship with Him. Yes, I do believe that there is a marriage. I do believe it's between a man and a woman. Yes, I do believe he gave us a great gift of sex, and that is to be in the parameters of of a marital relationship. Yes, I do believe that God created man in his image, in either male or a female. What would happen if you just spouted off in a very respectful way all of these responses to these questions? There would be a great defaming, would there not? There would be a great slandering that would take place because we see it frequently in the newspapers, in the media. This perspective is none other than the prince of the air, the god of this world, the devil himself, the great defamer. I'll give you a fourth title, and that is the accuser. Again, we're looking at who this devil is and what are his methods. He delights in reminding and condemning Christians of their past sins. And he specializes in guilt. If you've got a past that you want to forget, he's going to make it his priority for you never to forget that. He loves to condemn God's children and whisper in their ear, you are such a failure. You are entirely unworthy. Don't you dare get close to the people within this church because they will find you out 
And once they find out who you are and what you've done, they will run from you. You have failed as a son, as a daughter. You are failing as a father and mother. You have nothing to contribute. This is the work of the great accuser. And here's the reality that all of us face this opponent. One of the great problems of COVID these last six months is just the isolation that has taken place. And as I've, I've thought about that, not only our church, but other churches, I've thought, oh, it's so dangerous that we isolate because then the accuser can really be effective. We need one another. We need to know that we are facing these accusations together to bring them out in light so we can speak the word of truth to one another. I'll give you the fifth one, the fifth title, is that of Lucifer. Do you know what the word Lucifer means? It means light bearer. This opponent of ours is a master of deception. When he attacks, it's not like our cell phones. So if I get a text from my brother, I can look at my phone and say, oh, it's my brother. Now, what what does he have to say? If I get a text from my father or from my mother, the same, right? But when the devil does his work, he doesn't give us a notification, Lucifer, and then, you know, tell us what he is about. No, he gives us a message. And as far as we know, it's coming from within us. And we are just so prone, particularly on those days when we are low. When he tempts, when he slanders, when he accuses, he doesn't give us a heads up that he is the one doing it. He places ideas into our head, and we think that they are our ideas. And you know, one of his greatest uh, tactics is right here in our passage. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. One of his great strategies is to confuse us on knowing who the real enemy is. And we can lose sight and realize that that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We, We think our struggle is with one another. And so men... The person that you love the most on this earth, your wife, can actually become your enemy. And the children of which you would do anything for, you would literally die for them. You don't want to even go on a summer vacation with them because you think that they are your enemy. And I would say the same for the children. As they look to their dad and to their mom, the thought of, what, I want to go on a vacation with them and drive 500 miles across the state? No way. And we have lost sight who the enemy truly is. We could go out on a picnic like this. I've thought about this. I'm not planning on doing this. But on a day where we're all gathered together and maybe our our guard is down a little bit, I could go up to someone and I say, Hey, did you hear what Jared said to Lori on his way into church? He said something really ugly. What? Are you sure that's true? No, that's just what I heard. I don't know if it's true or not, but did you, but did you hear what he said? 
And, and I could go over to the next person and I say, Hey, Leon, uh, did you hear what Gary said about Verda? And, and I can't believe he talked about her like that. And, and I could just make my way around and for about half hour and just step back and watch what would take place. I could go up to a young mom and say, hey, did you realize what this other young mom, did you see the look that she gave you when you were getting your, your brat? Let me interpret what that look really was. Your earrings don't match your blouse. <laughs> and she don't think you can dress. And you know what? She thinks you're a horrible mom. That's what that look really... Now you laugh, but I'm telling you, that's what happens. And that's what happens at our church. That people leave <laughs> because of stuff like that. And if I could just turn your attention today to say that your enemy is not your spouse. Your enemy is not your parents. It's not your co-worker. Let's get our focus on the right enemy today. It's on the devil. And we're wrestling not against flesh and blood, but this is what he does. So let's just conclude then. How do we fight against the devil and his schemes? We see it there in verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Well, what is the whole armor of God? These are the resources that God has given to you. This is not about you uh, developing some personal subjective character within you that's going to make you strong to fight the devil. No, if you are a Christian, when you became a Christian, he gave you resources. Then by faith, you apply them to this fight. For the next several weeks, we're going to Take one of these articles of armor, one right after the other. But I would remind you that we don't fight for a position of victory. We fight from a position of victory. There's a great little story that Tony Evans shares. It's of this wonderful painting that was in an art gallery. And and if you looked at the painting, there was the devil playing chess with the young man. And it was a very intricately detailed uh, painting where it portrayed the devil with a, with a prideful smile creeping across his face. As he looked at the chessboard, he, he was determined that he was going to win. The young man that was opposite of the chessboard was sweating and he was afraid. And he knew that in just a matter of moves, it was checkmate and the devil was going to win. One day, there was a chess master that came to the art gallery, and he studied that painting, and he looked at it. And hours upon hours, he looked at not only the look on their faces, but he looked at the chessboard, and he looked at all the different pieces that were on it. And then he said to one of the workers of the museum, do you by chance have a chessboard here at the museum? And after looking at a couple of different offices, they did, and they got the chessboard, and they laid it out, and he put all the pieces to where they were on that painting. And then the chess master began to move. If I did this, then he would do this. If I did this, he would do this. If I did this, and after giving it some thought, he concluded. And he looked at the young man on that painting, and he says, listen, you don't have to lose. You can win. Let me show you how. And then he he laid out the strategy against his opponent for victory. 
And the same can be said for you and I. We do not have to lose. Victory has already been granted to us through the cross, through this empty tomb. What is the armor of God? We'll spend the next several weeks unpacking that. But one author that I appreciate named Jerry Bridges summarized it this way. He said, the armor of God can be summed up as the knowledge of and the use of the word of God. Secondly, faith in Christ and the salvation we have through him. Thirdly, prayer through which we express our dependence upon him. Let me even boil it down a little further. What is the armor of God when we, when we tackle this in the coming weeks? One, it's, it's, it's the word, it's the scriptures, knowing it and applying it. It's the gospel it, in applying all the benefits of the gospel to our lives. And thirdly, it's prayer and, and crying out in dependence to, to apply God's strength to our lives. So far, we've covered last week, we are all in a war. This week, we've covered, we have an opponent. These are his methods. In the weeks to follow, we'll look at our battle plan to defeat, apply the victory to our lives. This is what I'd like to do today by way of application. I'd just like you to be reminded of who the enemy is. And I can't help but think today, if you're here with your family, you might be a single dad, you might be a single mom, and you're, you're with your child, and maybe just to take some time to say, the enemy is the devil. We can't be fighting with one another. We have to, we have to be on the same side. Let's, let's determine that. Let's pray together right now. Let's be on the same side and let's fight against the devil. You could be here with your spouse and say, hey, let's, hey, we've had a good couple of weeks. We don't have any trouble right now, but let's just resolve this right now. Let's pray. Let's make sure that we understand who the devil, who our opponent is, and let's just pray a prayer of unity right now against the devil. If you happen to be here with your spouse and your children, I think it would be appropriate for you just to come together and pray, hey, let's, let's get together and let's pray right now. We know who the enemy is. It's not us. It's not one another. It's a devil. And let's pray that God would apply victory to our lives. It'd be a great opportunity, dads, to lead out, lead your family right now. And if you happen to be here by yourself, I would say, pray that. God, help me to see. The opponents in my life are not the real enemy. My struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it is against the devil. And help me to apply the gospel power to that. In Jesus' name, amen.